We are in a Jonah series here, as you can see from the uh, bumper video, and we're really excited about this. Hopefully, you're reading through this with us. Uh, if not, jump into it. There's some Bibles in front of you there. If you want to open up to Jonah, you can. It's kind of in the 400s in some of those Bibles, if you're looking for that tiny little book. It's only four chapters, and we've just been excited about studying this and going through this with you because it has so much practical application to what we're going through in our lives, and we hope that you find it applicable to what you're going through in all of your day-in and day-out situations. So just to recap, the last couple weeks, maybe uh, you don't remember, maybe some of you weren't here, we want to just kind of catch you up with where we are as we jump into Jonah chapter 3 today. The first week I just talked about how God gave Jonah this great mission. He gave him this call to get up and go. And that's often a call that God gives us. He wants us to get up from wherever we are, and he wants us to go do something for him, something amazing for him, uh, something uh, according to uh, our own calling and our own talents and our own mission. And Jonah hated this calling, okay? He was called to go talk to these people that he didn't know, that he didn't like. They were called the Ninevites, and they were a cruel, violent people. And Jonah, being this Jewish person, didn't want to go to this strange new country with this different culture, these people that were violent and dangerous people, the Ninevites. He did not want to go there and give them this message. So he went the other way. He got on a boat. Instead of going east, he goes west. He's out there on the boat. This big storm comes, and the sailors are saying, what is going on with this? They kind of had this idea it was some kind of supernatural thing. And Jonah said, it's because of me. It's because I'm running from God, and if you throw me in, the, calm, the calmness will come. So they throw him in. Jonah probably assumes, I'm going to die now. I'm going to drown and die, and that's my life. And the calmness comes. These sailors' lives are saved, and it seems like it could be the end of Jonah. But this fish gobbles up Jonah, takes him back to the beach, and spits him up. And while he's in this whale, or this big fish, the Bible says... He has this beautiful prayer where he cries out to God. And Pastor Wiles last week did an awesome job talking about how you and I can find ourselves in dark places, discouraging places, and God wants us to reach out for him. He wants us to worship him. And in Jonah chapter 2, if you haven't been reading, I encourage you to, to look at that prayer that he prays to God in Jonah chapter 2. It's beautiful and meaningful. And he's just, uh, it seems like a heartfelt situation. And that brings us to today. He gets spit up on this beach. Okay, the Bible doesn't give us much description on what Jonah's condition is like at this time. But I'm imagining just being in this big fish. What does he look like? What does he smell like? You know, he's laying on this beach probably with sand all over him. Uh, there's no Motel 6 for him to go get cleaned up. He doesn't have any luggage. I mean, he probably, we can speculate and just say he was a mess. He was completely a mess, thinking he was going to die, and now he's here, and now we're going to jump in to chapter 3 and pick up the story. Here's what it says in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up. And go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I've given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. 
And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw that they, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. In these short 10 verses, in this chapter, we could surmise that the big idea for today, what I want to be talking to you about today, if there's nothing else you remember from the message, here's the big idea. When you are running from God and failing, He wants to give you a second chance. We're going to be talking about how God wants to give you a second chance. There might be times in life where you just feel like you're not measuring up. Whatever God's expecting of us, we're failing. We're we're struggling. Maybe we're even in our heart running from God. Maybe in intentional ways, we're going away from God just like Jonah was, rebelling away from him and his plan for us. And we could think, man, does God still want me? Should I even continue on? What What does God want from me? He wants you to come back. He wants to give you a second chance. Let's go back to first, the first verse where it says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. That's so important. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given to you. He gives them the same exact command that he said in chapter 1. If you were here and you remember what that command was in, verse, in chapter 1, it's repeated here in chapter 3. Get up and go. I'm going to give you a second chance to do what I was asking you to do. And that's what our first point is, is when we need it most, God gives us a second chance. God is a gracious God. The whole story of the Bible and the gospel is that God wants to give his grace to people that don't deserve it. He wants to give you his forgiveness. He wants to love you, even though you've made mistakes. And when we're just feeling shame, we're feeling down, we don't feel much hope in our lives, God is saying, I'm here, and I want to keep giving you more and more chances to walk with me and to do what I'm asking you to do. And again, the Bible just has so many stories. In case we're wondering, am I good enough for God? The answer is no. And the heroes of the Bible are not all these people God's the hero. Jesus told them about the prodigal son so that they would know we're not good enough. The prodigal son ran away to spend all the money, to get wasted, to just leave God. And when he comes back, what does he find? His father with open arms saying, I still love you. David committed adultery. And God still used him in great ways. Moses had such an anger problem that he killed an Egyptian out of his anger. And he fled the scene. A murderer. And God calls Moses and says, you know what? I have a plan for you too. I want you to lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt 
into freedom. Peter, even though Jesus looked at him eye to eye and said, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to tell people you don't even know me. Peter said, no way. I'll die for you, Jesus. And in a short time later, he betrays Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Go tell the disciples and Peter, I'm alive. And he gives him a second chance. And you and I have that possibility of that story that we've fallen and we've messed up and Jesus is looking to you and he's saying, I want to give you another chance. Will you come back to me? Will you do what I'm asking you to do? Will you experience my grace? When I was thinking about that word grace, that undeserved grace, I was thinking about a story in my own life way back in like 1995, 96. I think it was around that year because that was the year I was a high school science teacher at St. Wendelin in Fostoria. It's like 30 minutes from here. I lived in Bowling Green and I would drive back and forth to teach high school science at St. Wendelin. And during that year, I got a speeding ticket during that time. I am a flighty person. I'm a disorganized person. You're going to think, wow, this is, uh, you know, this is my role, to, by the way, to get up here and share embarrassing stories with you so you can feel good about your life and know that there's hope. Um, but I was so absent-minded, I didn't pay the fine. My court case came up. I didn't see it. I didn't remember it. And I missed my court case. Okay? If you don't know, that's bad. Okay? <laughs> I finally just remembered that, man, this is probably pretty serious and I should go take care of this speeding ticket. I walk into the police station here in Bowling Green. I say to the lady, hey, I'm here to pay this ticket. She looks up my name. She says, do you know there's a warrant out for your arrest? <laughs> like, wow. Wow. That is not what I was hoping to hear. I was like, pull out the checkbook. Can I take care of this now? She's like, for this kind of thing, we don't take a check. You need cash. I said, I'll go across the street. I'll go to the ATM. I'll get my cash. I'll come back. She's like, you're not leaving. You're under arrest. <laughs> and my heart is just sinking in my chest. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Uh, this is really bad. This policeman was there, and he was so gracious. He said, I'm going to walk you across the street. I'm going to let you do this. I'm going to let you get that money out and come back and pay the fine. I was like, thank you so much. And he was so gracious. He gave me something I didn't deserve. And I paid it, and I was like, okay, this is good. And he goes, well, before you go, we still got to book you. You know, you got to do fingerprints and everything. And I was like, wow, this is the real deal. As if, I, you know, hoping that was over, I didn't know this was posted in the newspaper that I was under arrest. Without any description, I show up to school on Monday morning and the kids rush into my classroom. Mr. Pardee, why were you arrested? I was like, oh my goodness, this is getting worse. I tried to make up some funny stories that I got in a fist fight with a student, but I, it wasn't that funny. And later on, the principal showed up at my door and said, hey, we need to talk. And he also was super gracious. You know, I'm a first-year teacher. The principal shows up. Why were you arrested this weekend? <laughs> I didn't get fired. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> we all need to experience graciousness. In my flightiness and my unfaithfulness, I didn't deserve that, but I got it. And we need that so much with each other, but even more when we fall short, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we need that kind of grace. 
We need that help from God to say, you've messed up, but I'm still here, and I love you, and I want to give you another chance. When I think of this phrase, get up and go, I am just so interested to know, how did Jonah feel at that moment? Again, kind of put yourself in his situation of this second chance. You know, sometimes when, we're, when we need forgiveness, we're, we're happy to hear about a second chance, right? That brings warmth to our hearts. Okay, I get a second chance. What about when God's asking you to do something and you don't want to do it? Maybe you and I don't want a second chance. We'd like to move on with life. Maybe Jonah wanted to sink to the bottom of the ocean and die. But here he is, and God says the same thing, get up and go. And the second point I want to draw about this is this, number two. When we don't want to get up, God gives us another chance. You and I are going to be in situations in life where God is asking us to do something, telling us to do something, to change our lives, to go forgive someone, to reconcile a relationship, to influence someone. Some kind of command that he's placing upon you. He's crying out to you, I want you to do this. And we say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm never going to change. I'm never going to forgive that person. I am not going to do these things, God, that you're asking me to do. And we're down on the ground and we don't even want to get up. Because we know if we get up, he's going to say it to us again. No, I want you to do this. I want you to change. And we say this phrase, can't, can I just give up? That's what we say. Can I just give up? God, I don't want a second chance in this thing. I want to stay where I'm at. And if we're really honest with us, when we encounter those dark moments, that's how we feel. We want to give up on these situations. We want to give up on life. We don't want him to keep asking us to do these certain things. Yeah, the hope, the warmth, the forgiveness. Yeah, I love that. But when it comes to these hard things that you're asking me to do, I don't want to. And I don't even want to get up. And it's amazing to know that even when you and I don't want to move on, we don't want to do what he's asking us to do. And maybe we've lost all hope. He's still there. He still knows that. And he still loves us. And he said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your hand here and I'm going to lift you up when you've got nothing left to give and move forward. And I believe that's what Jonah was experiencing here. And in verse 4 and 5, it says this, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. He got up. He went and did what God asked him to do. He yells this, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. Wow. He got up and did what God asked him to do. He shouted only this short phrase is what the scripture tells us. 40 days from now, none of it will be destroyed. That's not a very complicated gospel message, is it? That's not a very complicated thing to say. That's all God wanted him to say. And what is the result? The people of Nineveh believed. Wow. And do you notice this? It doesn't say they believed Jonah's message, does it? 
What does it say? The people of Nineveh believed God's message. You see, this thing that you and I are called to of why we need to get up is because people are watching us and they need to see and hear the gospel. That when we get up, it gives them permission. It gives them hope to get up. And that's the third point. You and I were called to demonstrate and deliver God's message. It isn't you and I. It isn't my message. It isn't your message. It's not my opinions. It's not my experience. It's not your opinions or your experience. It's God's message to a deaf world that I love you and you can't work your way to heaven but I still love you and I want to give you forgiveness. That's the message that we have been given. That the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to give us these second chances. And the rest of the world believes that if they can just kind of do some good things to overcome their sin, they're going to be okay. Do you know that? That's pretty much what the other world religions believe. That you have it in yourself to get better and in the afterlife be in this good place. That is contrary to what Christianity is. Christianity says without a shadow of a doubt, we all have a debt to pay in our sin, and the only way out is through Jesus. That's God's message. That is not our message. It's His message, and this message has power. And as that message goes out, it changed me. It saved me. It saved many of you. It's saving people. People's lives are being changed and we are being called to be a part of that demonstration and the delivering of His message. So when you say to yourself, man, I just don't know if I can tell my neighbors I'm a Christian. I don't know if I can invite them to church. I don't know if I can tell my family and my friends that, um, you know, I love Jesus. It's so intimidating. This is the reminders to us that this is God's message. It isn't ours. We just have to speak. You know, when I was uh, uh, an early uh, on in my Christian life, it was intimidating for me to talk to my family. I was the first one in my family to give my life to Christ. And when I went home on Christmas and Thanksgiving and those holidays, I was so intimidated to tell my family because I thought, they're going to think I'm crazy. And of all my brothers, I have five brothers. I've talked about them a lot. There was one brother. I thought he would be the last one to believe this message from God. And he was the first one to become a Christian of my brothers and start living for Jesus. I was shocked. It's like, yeah, okay, I can kind of see these people maybe following Jesus, but not him. And he gave his life to Christ, and he's been so influential in leading other people to Christ. And that person in your life right now, you think, man, I don't know if I could ever say anything to them. I'm afraid they're going to reject me. I don't think they'd ever listen. You don't know because it's God's power. It's His work. And the Holy Spirit is out there doing its thing, working on people's hearts to change them. And God has continually done that through many of you and in our family and our friends and our community. And He's growing this church because it's all about His power. And I love reading this in verses 6 through 8. I mean, this is we're talking about the king of Nineveh here. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, and took off his royal robes. That's a sign of humility. He dressed himself in burlap 
and sat on a heap of ashes. Other translations say sackcloth and ashes was a sign of repentance, was a sign of humility, was a sign of brokenness. And this is what this king is doing. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even animals from your herds and flocks may eat and drink anything at all. They're going to fast. People and animals alike must wear these garments of mourning. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. He's changed by the power of God's message. And we have that ability to share in that power. That's why we were a couple weeks back. We want to just keep reminding you of this and talking about this. This is to remind us of the power of God's gospel for us. And we encourage you to get these stickers. These 108 stickers are to remind us as a church to be praying at 108 that we would be spokespersons for him, that we would, we would pray for the lost, that more people's lives will be transformed. I encourage you to grab these stickers and put it on your fridge, put it somewhere, put it in a place where you'll, you'll be reminded and you'll set your alarms on your phone to pray at 108. And it also stands for this verse in Acts 1.8, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We have a power to deliver this to people. And it changes lives. It has completely changed my life. When I think of all the dumb things I've done in my life and all the sinful things that I've done, things that in my mind I just did out of ignorance because the truth wasn't there, and then the rebellious things that were in my heart that I walked away from God, and now where he's brought me in my life, I am so grateful for his mercy. And I hope many of you feel that same way, that when you understand, wow, I just don't deserve this, and he's just showered me with this, this love, you want to change. You want to be different for him because of that love relationship. And that's what happened to this king. That's what happened to the sailors on the boat. That's what's happening to Jonah. That's what's happening to the people of Nineveh, which brings us to the fourth point. These people's true belief includes a sincere repentance and change. When you really understand the gospel and you believe it and you say, Jesus, come into my life, I want you to be my Savior, but I also want you to be my Lord and start leading me. Then, that's why this king says, they will turn. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. I love this verse. This is a, a great memory verse for you, Acts 3.19, which kind of articulates this in a, in a deeper way. It says, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What this is talking about is that we're not just turning away from things in our life. Whatever that thing that God puts on your heart, He says, I want you to do this for me. Or I want you to turn away from these temptations. Turn away from these sins. Turn away from this anger, the hatred, the unforgiveness, whatever it is in your life that He's asking you to turn away from. It isn't just to not do that. It's to come into, what does this verse say? Into the presence of God. Into this refreshment that comes from you being intimate 
with God. That's what he wants. He wants relationship with us. And it's so easy to stiff arm him. It's so easy to turn away. I was thinking about some things that I'd read about Brendan Manning. He's a really great author, one of my favorite authors. And Brendan Manning wrote a book called Ragamuffin Gospel. He's written many other things. And one of the stories that I love about him is when he talks so deeply about his alcoholism. Okay, Brennan Manning uh, became a Franciscan monk, and he's just influenced many people for Jesus. But he struggled so much with alcohol. I mean, he was just a terrible drunk. And he talks about how much he needed God's grace. And in this one scenario, he's talking about his friend Paul. And as he describes his friend Paul, he says, Paul's not only my best friend, he's my oldest friend. They were friends for decades. And he said, Paul and I used to go out and drink so much together. And we would kind of justify it because we would be talking about theology. We'd sit down and one beard lead to another and we'd just be talking about Christian things and, and we would just end up drunk. And our, our friendship was, for years was based on alcohol. And he says, one day our relationship changed. And why it changed is because Paul said, I don't want to drink anymore. I don't like what this is in my life, and I want to change. And he said, we kind of wrestled through some things, but when your relationship is based on alcohol and the other person changes, it does change that relationship. But we were kind of wrestling through that. And I just really saw that in, in reality, looking back, Paul got honest and I continued to lie. And he said, me and my friends, we called ourselves the notorious sinners because when you're that bad of an alcoholic, you live a life of lies. And he said, I would defend myself all the time. I would always stiff arm people and I would lie just to protect myself. And one day his friend Paul comes to him, his dear friend, decades of friendship. And Paul's in tears and he says, Brennan, you're lying again. I know you're lying and I love you, and I'm concerned about you, and I want you to stop this and think about what you're doing in your life. And Brennan stiff arms him again. He's like, oh, I was just kidding. I was, I was exaggerating. Leave me alone. He said, I did what I always do. I played defense because I didn't want to change. And his friend Paul says to him, you know, I'm I'm not going to let off on you here. I'll continue this friendship, but I want you to know I don't like what you're doing with your alcohol and your lying and your anger concerns me. And Brennan Manning says this, quote, My oldest friend's confrontation was uncomfortable and unpleasant at the time. But if I've learned anything about the world of grace, it's that failure is always a chance for a do-over. His friend that came to him in love said, I want to give you another do-over. And he just didn't want it. And it was hurting his life and it was hurting his relationship. Today, you and I can agree with God. And we need to be honest with ourselves. Am I playing defense against God Am I lying to myself? Am I lying to God? And I just want to encourage you, if you're in that place right now, to just be really honest with God as Holy Spirit puts things on your heart and He's placing things into your mind. 
We're so tempted to defend ourselves. We're so tempted to be like Brennan Manning and just justify our alcoholism, justify our lying, justify whatever big or small sin is in our life and say, I'm okay. I, I, I'm kind of comparing myself to everybody else, God, and I'm okay. Just leave me alone. And it breaks the relationship. It breaks down the intimacy. And you don't get to enjoy that refreshing intimacy with God. And you can agree with him today. You can change all that right now because he's giving you another chance to agree with him, to agree with him in whatever way he's asking you to. And if you do, it's such a beautiful experience of forgiveness. And that's what these people experienced in Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they had done, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. God doesn't want to destroy us. He wants to love us. He wants intimacy with us. True, intimate experiences with us. He is not having his arms crossed toward you in judgment. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And he's standing there with open arms to welcome you back if you would agree with him and change and turn just like the king did, just like these people did. I'm going to pray for us and ask us to respond in that way that Acts 13.9 is talking about, that we would be able to come back to him and agree with him on whatever he's bringing up with us. Let's pray for that.